0: gathers is washington county's food rescue and food bank program every day throughout the year we fight hunger where we live call us at 761-2796 to find out how you can volunteer how you can donate money how you can donate food call us at 761-2796 to find out the role you can play in fighting hunger And all box, a box of chocolates, would I know to stay away? What well, said And all his box, the box of chocolates, would I eat them anyway? Cause every time I have half a mind to leave you,
1: babe, that means I have half a mind to stay.
2: It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Good evening, this is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food every Thursday evening at 6.30. And this time, it's evocative food. And what could be more evocative than haggis, you must be asking yourself. I'm sure you've been thinking about that all day, but certainly, yes, haggis. We're going to be talking about haggis and other evocative foods that have inspired poems, and we're going to hear some of those poems. In the meantime, we want to take just a moment to say thank you to Kate McGarrigal, the great folk singer passed away earlier this week, and we have a song by Kate and Anna McGarrigle As a tribute to her, this is from the French record, produced by the two Canadians. And this song is, I hope I will do this French justice, but En Féla, And it's a spinning song from ages old, it says on the record. Spinning My Distaff is the translation. A distaff is also called a rock, and it's a tool used in spinning. It holds the unspun fibers and keeps them untangled. There is a rather sinister food reference, which I will explain in just a moment. Caden Anna McGarrigle.
1: Mon
2: Kate and Anna McGarrigal, and that is Enphila ma canoie. That, again, is, I hope that is the correct pronunciation, but that is a French song talking about spinning my distaff. And there is a food reference there, again, a rather sinister one. I'm going to mention uh, some of the lyrics in English here. My father, he did marry me, lon la, as I roll along. A ruffian he gave to me, as I roll, as I roll. A ruffian he gave to me, with neither mail nor farthing with neither mail nor a farthing, but a stick from a green apple tree, but a stick from a green apple tree with which he loves to batter me. And that's not so good, and yet it's beautiful music. There's a lot of joy and pain in music and food, and poetry is the subject of today's Pandora's Lunchbox, evocative food that inspires poetry. And I want to talk about Robert Burns because... He's considered the National Poet of Scotland, and Burns' Day is on January 25th. Every January 25th, Monday is coming up here, we celebrate, people celebrate Robert Burns. He was a Scottish poet and lyricist, and he's best known of the poets who had written in the Scots language, although much of his writing is also in English and in a light Scots dialect. He wrote in standard English as well, and in these pieces, his political or civil commentary is often at its most blunt, his most famous song is Auld Lang, Syne. Auld Lang Syne. It's often sung on the last day of the year, of course, Hogmanay being the Scottish celebration, but also to a haggis. He wrote a po- among his 500-odd poems about national issues, about manners, about animals, about everything in life, he wrote to a haggis. Burns Night is celebrated with Burns' suppers around the world And it's still more widely observed than the official National Scottish Day, which is St. Andrew's Day. And there's going to be a Burns Supper in Windsor, Ontario that I'm interested in. I'm going to try to make my way over there at a pub called The Manchester. It's on Ouellette Avenue, and it's only about three blocks from the water, from the Detroit River in Windsor, in Ontario. The first Burns Supper was held in 1802. And what happens at a Burns Supper is there's a general welcome and announcements then there's a grace, then there's piping, and the cutting of the haggis, where Burns' famous Tua Haggis is read and the haggis is cut open. The event usually allows for people to start eating just after the haggis is presented. That's when the reading called The Immortal Memory, an overview of Burns' life and work, is given. The event usually concludes with the singing of Auld Lang Syne. Now, I went to the Burns supper last year at a place called Kildare House in Windsor, a place that unfortunately is no longer there. It was the 250th anniversary of Burns' birth. And so there was a reading of To a Haggis by a good fellow named Kit McElvoy, originally from Scotland, now he says a proud Canadian. And let's actually jump into that in just a moment here, but first, a partial translation in the English of To a Haggis. Okay, you're looking at a Haggis now, and. Here it is. Fair full your honest, jolly face, great chieftain of the the sausage race. Above them all you take your place, stomach, tripe, or intestines. Well are you worthy of a grace as long as my arm. The groaning trencher there you fill, your buttocks like a distant hill. Your pin would help to mend a mill in time of need, while through your pores the dews distill like amber bead. His knife see rustic labor wipe and cut you with ready slight, trenching your gushing entrails bright like any ditch. And then, oh, what a glorious sight, warm, steaming, rich. Goes on to talk about people eating it and getting very full and happy and they're so full almost to burst. And then comes this. Is there a pretentious soul who over his French ragout or oleo that would make a pig sick or fricassee that would make that pig ill with complete and utter disgust looks down with a sneering, scornful attitude on such a meal? Poor devil. See him over his trash, as feeble as a withered rash, his thin legs a good whiplash, his fist a nut. Though bloody flood or through bloody flood or field to dash, oh, how unfit. But mark the rustic haggis-fed. The trembling earth resounds his tread. Clamp in his ample fist a blade, he'll make it whistle. And legs and arms and heads he'll chop like tops of thistle. You powers who make mankind your care and dish them out their bill of fare. Old Scotland wants no watery ware that splashes in little wooden dishes. But if you wish her grateful prayer, give her a haggis. Now, Robert Burns wrote this poem... What can you say about it? It's it's rugged, it's rustic, it's funny, it's lusty, it's all of those things. And it seems to say a lot about the Scottish character, certainly comparing it to weaklings who eat things like ragu and French ragu and fricassees and things like that, which aren't Scottish, which makes them not as manly. So we've heard the English translation. Now let's listen to Kit McElvoy make a brief introduction to the haggis. Last year he did this at the Kildare House in Windsor. Let's listen in.
0: This is a staple of life for centuries in in Scotland. Uh, I grew up eating haggis uh, a lot. I still do. It's got a bad reputation thanks to uh, our southern uh, neighbors, but they're just jealous. (laughs) Uh, it It was the food of the people. And uh, I hope you enjoy it once you get a wee taste of it and a wee bit. But he wrote this address to the haggis. Uh, traditionally, when you have a meal of haggis, this is what you're supposed to say over it. Fair for your honest sonsy face, great chieftain of the puddin' race. abun them all, ye tak your place. Punch triper therm. And will lie ye the o'er grace as langs ma'eram. The groaning trencher there ye you fill your hurdies like a distant hill and your pin would help to mend a millin' time a need and through your pores the jews distill like amber bead.
2: And now he pulls out the knife to cut the haggis. Ah. His knife See
0: rustic labour dight, and cut you up, we ready slight, trenching your gushing entrails bright like ony ditch. And then, oh, what a glorious sight, warm, reeking, rich. Then horn for horn they stretch and strive, deal tack the hindmost on the drive, till all their well-swallowed kites be live, or bent like drums, then augid men be slight to rive. He think it hums. Is that him or his French ragout? Or alio that was star a sou? Or fricassee that would macum spew? Where perfect scunner, looks down with sneering, scornful view on sick of dinner? Poor devil. You see him or his trash? As feckless as a wizard trash. His spindle neep a giedweep lash, and his neave a knit. Through bloody flood and feel to dash, O oh, how unfit. But mark the rustic, haggis fed, the trembling earth resounds his tread. Clap in his wallied neve a blade, and he will make it whistle. And legs, and arms, and heeds will sned like taps a thristle. He powers that give mankind their care, and dish them out their daily wear. All Scotland wants no skunking, where the jibs and luggies, For if you wish her grateful prayer, give her a haggis. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand up and join me in a toast.
2: Join us in the toast to the haggis. The beautiful haggis, about eight pounds. Beautifully sliced, beautifully delicious. Absolutely lovely. I'm gonna have a toast in just a moment. Slun, Jay, get ready to toast. Are you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Here we go.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Burton's and the Haggis. Yes. Slagy. 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 Thank you. Well done, Thank you. Well
2: and the Piper. Here comes the Piper. Here we go. And so was Robert Burns Night. Burns Night last January 25th at the Kildare House in Windsor. And there's going because the Kildare House sadly is no more, there's going to be a Burns Night in Windsor celebrated with the To a Haggis poem. Kit McElvoy, who read that poem then, is going to be there. A large haggis to share and some scotch. And it's a pub called The Manchester. It's right on Ouellette Street in Windsor. It's not too far from the Detroit River, about three blocks this is Pandora's Lunchbox. We're looking at evocative food, and what could be more evocative than hearing to a haggis in the original Scots language? I'm going to attempt just a line here. I mean, we, we've heard Old Scotland wants no watery ware that splashes in little wooden dishes. Well, that's good, but Old Scotland wants nice skinkin' ware that jops in luggies. I'd rather say that. I'd rather hear that. That's a fact. Now, okay, if you don't know what haggis is, I'm just going to say it's a kind of sausage. It kind of depends on who you ask, because the traditional, original haggis tends to scare some people, though some say it's just another kind of sausage. It's a dish containing sheep's heart, liver, and lungs, minced with onion, oatmeal, suet, spices, and salt, mixed with stock, and simmered in the animal's stomach for about three hours. You can do a lot in three hours, you know. But true Scottish haggis hasn't been legal to import since 1971 because the U.S. Department of Agriculture banned the use of lungs in food. But here's the thing. Most commercial haggis is prepared in a casing rather than an actual stomach. And to give you an example of American haggis, possibly Canadian haggis as well, there's a company called Caldonian Kitchen, where else but in Texas, that makes haggis. It is stuffed with 100% choice sirloin beef and beef liver along with oats and beef suet. Meanwhile, in Scotland, vegetarian haggis stuffed with vegetables, oats, and spices has become popular. So it just goes to show you, haggis is in the heart, beef, and lungs of the beholder. It is a lusty, wonderful dish, and we're going to listen to something here that, well, this is all very cross-cultural, wouldn't you say? There's a fellow named Todd Wong from Vancouver who goes by the name Toddish McWong and has decided to combine the nearby holidays of Burns Night and the Chinese New Year into Gung Haggis Fat Choi. Let's hear Toddish Mukwang and his group with Gung Haggis Rap Choi. Shall we?
1: In your and then, oh, what a glorious sight, warm, rake rich. Warm, rake rich. Warm, rake rich. Warm, rake rich. 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 And then, oh, what a glorious sight, warm, rake rich. rich. But mark the rustic haggis bed, the trembling earth, three sounds of tread, Chop his wall, in me need you to blab back and whistle i legs and arms and heaves will snare like tops a thristle. Like tops a thristle. Like tops a thristle. Like tops a thistle. i legs and arms and heaves will snare
0: like, like tops a thristle. Give powers who make mankind your care and dish them out the bill of fifth. Full scorpion once nice stinking where that tops in luggage. But if you wish a grateful prayer, give her a haggis. Gee her ha,
1: haggis. Gee her ha, haggis. Ha,
0: haggis. Old Scotland wants now stinking where the her a
1: haggis. Gee her a haggis. Gee her ha, haggis. Oh, Canada wants me stinking wear that jokes in laggers. Like give her a haggis Give her a haggis. Give her a haggis. <laughs>
0: her her haggis her
1: Haggis
2: Oh yeah that is Gung Haggis Fat choy and that is Gung Haggis Fat choy Got that That is actually a production experience, whatever you call it, by some folks, including Mr. Todd Wong, who has a website called Gung Haggis Fat Choi, which is a rough translation of Gung He Fat Choi, which is a traditional Chinese greeting of congratulations or wishing you happiness, and that gives me nothing but happiness there. His website, Gung Haggis Fat Choi, has an image of Deep-fried haggis dumplings and spring rolls. Mmm. So there's going to be a celebration in Vancouver if you're going out there. I want to just get on a private jet and go out there and eat at the Gung Haggis Fat joy, joy Festival and have joy. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. I'm Mike, and this is a show about poetry in food. Let's go now to Edgar Allan Poe. He would have turned 201 this last Tuesday. I guess he was born exactly 50 years after Robert Burns, give or take a week. The mysterious stranger who has marked Edgar Allan Poe's grave for the last 60 years failed to show up at the grave. Every year since 1949, the stranger, known locally as the Poe Toaster, has left three roses and a half bottle of cognac on Poe's grave in Baltimore on his birthday. The roses are believed to represent the three bodies buried beneath the monument. Poe, his mother-in-law, and his wife, Virginia, The significance of the cognac is not known, but this year about 30 fans, one who flew in from Chicago, waited all night at the cemetery. The visitor never showed up. He usually leaves his gifts between midnight and 5.30 a.m., and yet the Poe toaster did not appear. Baltimore Sun writer Mary McCauley was even inspired to write a poem based on Poe's The Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, long we waited weak and weary to see the quaint and curious Poe toaster who has come before. Come, dark visitor, we chattered. Leave us not with hopes a tattered lay cognac on the gravesite floor. Though the wind took up our sighing, no answer came back to our crying. Is a grand tradition dying? Will you haunt us nevermore? She called the poem The Raving. So is the Poe toaster no more? We'll just have to wait and find out. On to artichoke, however. Artichoke is an exciting thing to me. I love artichoke, and I have found a poem about artichoke, in fact. This poem was written by Beverly Fields Burnett. I found this on a blog called Mighty Appetite. Beverly Fields Burnett, who was a poet and president of the North Carolina Association of Black Storytellers, wrote this poem. This is called Artichoke Pickle Passion, a sonnet. In Southern Springs we dug for artichokes, in Ms. Olivia's tall and weedy yard. She dipped her snuff, but never, ever smoked. At 85, she wasn't avant-garde. Her back spittings grew the vegetable. Well-nourished were the tubers, strong the stalks. And even though their worth was questionable, with hoe in hand we dug, postponing talk. Once washed, soaked, sliced, they met some torrid brine. Aromas flew on steamy clouds of heat. When canned, the waiting was the longest time. How many weeks or months before we eat? In southern springs we dug the precious root, and still this day it is my passion fruit. Artichoke Pickle Passion, a sonnet by Beverly Fields Burnett. And another poem, in fact, from the same website called Mighty Appetite, from the poet Jane Kenyon. The late poet Jane Kenyon, who served as New Hampshire's poet laureate, before she died in 1995. This one is called Potato. In haste one evening while making dinner, I threw away a potato that was spoiled on one end. The rest would have been redeemable. In the yellow garbage pail, it became the consort of coffee grounds, banana skins, carrot peelings. I pitched it onto the compost, where steaming scraps and leaves returned like bodies over time to earth. When I flipped the fetid layers with a hay fork to air the pile... The potato turned up unfailingly, as if to revile me, looking plumper, firmer, resurrected, instead of disassembling. It seemed to grow until I might have made shepherd's pie for a whole hamlet. People who passed the day dropping trees, pumping gas, pinning hand-me-down clothes on the line. Potato by Jane Kenyon. And I also want to mention that the avocado has another poetic essence in its very name, in some South American companies, the avocado countries, thank you, the avocado is called la manzana del invierno, which translates to the apple of the winter. Now, this, but this is a great one. This is one of my favorite ones. A fellow on Facebook named Peter, who I went to high school ages and ages ago with, mentioned this to me a French phrase for weak coffee. Now, I'm going to massacre the name, I'm afraid. I'm going to fricassee the name, Juste Chaussette, which means. Sock juice. Okay. Who in this town of Ann Arbor or Ipsy or whoever's listening has not drank sock juice? Weak coffee. Sock juice. Then there's the tomato. Poma amoris, the love apple. It started life either as Poma de Mori, the apple of the Moors, or Poma de Ori, the golden apple. Over time, the vernacular name became corrupted to Poma amoris, and the tomato was presumed to be a powerful aphrodisiac but not Americans. Americans wouldn't think about aphrodisiacs, that's for sure, because American colonists thought tomatoes to be poisonous because of the plant's relation to the deadly nightshade family. Look out. Look out for the poisonous tomato, especially when somebody's throwing rotten ones at you. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike, and we're wrapping up. Thank you for listening to this program about food and poetry, and, waiter, there's poetry in my food. Just a quick mention, there are several events going on out there, including the Ice The Plymouth Ice Festival. Ice can be food and a drink. The Plymouth Ice Festival in the city of Plymouth with about 100 ice sculptures happening this weekend. And you can find out about that at PlymouthIceFestival.org. Let's wrap things up. As we were talking earlier about sheep and stomachs and haggis, how about some lamb? What do you think? I think so. This is... I hear a lamb. Actually, that's really amazing. I think that's a lamb named Ed Special who is going to do a special show called... uh, Three hours of violins. It's going to be three hours of violins starting in just a few minutes. Paganini's last testimony will begin. Are you ready? Well, let's get into the Paganini with something very similar. This is Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, and Mary is my little lamb. Okay, this is Pandora's Lunchbox. Thanks for listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.
1: But Mary can I'll know where she goes She ought to go to an all-girls school Cause you should see the way The boys won't go to their classes They just bother. The sheriff found them on her trail. WCBN
0: FM Arbor Hey fellas, let's sing a song. Okay. Okay, Mo. Ready? One, two, three. We're coming to your house. We're coming to your house. Have a good time to have a good, have a good time To bring you some laughter Ha,
1: ha, ha, ha,
0: ha, ha, Happiness, ha, 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 ha. too Three, four, five, six, seven We know you can count Though Mommy won't like us Though Mommy won't like us And neither will Dad And neither will Dad We're coming to your house To break up the joint Now, Larry, that's no way to talk when somebody invites you to their house. We got an invitation? In writing. When you hear the bell
1: ring. When you hear the bell ring. What bell? The doorbell, stupid. I never heard of a stupid doorbell. Oh,
0: please let us in. Oh, please let us in. And Larry will play on his new violin. I've got a violin. Would you like one? Yeah, under my chin. Here it is. Oh, my
1: chin. In a letter to the Cardinal Dardini, Father Petro Cavarelli writes, In May, the year of our Lord, 1840... I constantly visited the maestro Paganini in vain attempts to hear his confession.